Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Carebake. So today we're going to talk about something we don't talk about very often, but ends up in listener questions all the time. Business. So many of us have unexpectedly ended up in business because we ended up becoming a 1099 contractor. I know we've talked about that before. Or because we're, we've realized we're borderline unemployable. I guess and, that does make you in business. Yeah, you are in business. Uh, or you kind of like realize you're kind of borderline unemployable in a regular job. <laughs> uh, or just because we had no other choice but to become our own boss. Um, but I know a lot of listeners write in about this kind of like fear of selling out. And they never really define what selling out is. But I feel like a lot of folks have this kind of persistent fear. Um, And a lot of folks say that they feel like the day-to-day work of managing their unexpected business feels like it gets in the way of their real work, whatever that might be. Whatever you're passionate about, graphic design, audio production, data science, programming, practicing law. (laughs) So I'm so excited to have our guest on today. Danny Schumann is a writer, marketer, and entrepreneur, and he spent his whole career creating ideas to solve marketing challenges. He started his marketing consultancy twist in January 2009 in the middle of the worst recession of the past 75 years, the first indication he didn't really know what he was doing. Despite that, he spent the past 10 years helping big and small brands develop successful brand strategies, focusing their message and bringing that message to the right people. Before Twist, Danny wrote and creative directed marketing campaigns that helped build iconic brands like Quaker Oats, Coors Light, and Gatorade. He and Michael Jordan started working on Gatorade on the same day. Fun fact. Michael called Danny peanut butter jelly boy, but that's a story for a different time. His book, The Worst Business Model in the World, A New Kind of Guide for a New Kind of Entrepreneur, uh, is really delightful. I actually uh, read it all this morning, so I'm super prepped for this show, uh, and you can find it on Amazon. Danny, I'm so excited to have you join us. It is great to be with you, Lillian. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, I think a lot of our listeners, like, we usually talk about money management, and I think one of the... I think this is kind of the flip side for a lot of creative entrepreneurs is that a lot of folks kind of accidentally ended up in business. Like they just wanted to do what they were good at. Um, And they realized that the best way to do that was to be their own business owner. And they kind of get mired down in all the technical aspects of doing what they love as a business. I feel like your book is really just a practical look at kind of how to deal with that. So what had did you kind of wish that you had known about money and financial management when you first were starting out as an entrepreneur? Well, you nailed it in terms of how I got into it. And so, you know, one answer is I had no expectations because I didn't even know that I was becoming an entrepreneur. I just started doing it. And eventually, I suppose, the you could say the name kind of got affixed to me and what I did. That said, if there were a couple of things that I wish I knew then that I know now, one is that people will uh, pay you what you allow them to pay you. (laughs) And um, that was one of the first early lessons that I learned when I did a project and I submitted the proposal and it was an amount of money that I thought was relatively obscene for what I was going to do and the client happily signed the proposal. And so I thought to myself, well, 
you know, I should probably charge as much as I can, as often as I can. <laughs> the problem is that I seldom did that because you get in your own head or you get less busy and you really need the work or you're not really sure if they have the money. There's a million different reasons for you to not charge as much money as you could be charging it. So they're happy to pay you less money if you charge them less money. Um, <laughs> so, so that was something I, I learned, you know, early on. And the other thing that has definitely been something that I have learned and learned to appreciate over time is the fact that the money comes a lot and a lot of the time, or maybe not a lot of the time, but sometimes the money doesn't come. And maybe it's kind of obvious to people who have been doing this for a while, but for me, it was very, very wonderful to celebrate when the money was coming, and it was really, really difficult, almost depressing, to wade through the slog of slow times. And so the one thing that I have confidence in now, all these years later, that I would like to say to people just starting out is, the money will come. And um, it may not come always, but you have to have faith that there's always something around the corner. And it's not always hard to do, and it's almost counterintuitive sometimes when things aren't so good. But it's an important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I I often find that my the thing I struggle with is that the times when I'm working the most are often when money doesn't show up because I'm working, I'm working, working, working. And then, you know, the invoice gets paid months later. Um, and it's, it, there's this like struggle that I deal with of that kind of burnout of like, I'm doing all of this work. And, you know, when I do my accounting at the end of the month, it's my lowest earning month <laughs> for the year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's and, and, and not to mention that a lot of companies are moving to 60 and even 90-day payment cycles now. And so, you know, you might do the work and not see it for, you know, sometimes you get lost in the inner workings of the company and you check in on the day you're supposed to get paid and they don't even have your paperwork. Yeah. Three months becomes four months. So it's, you know, I, I think, I don't know what the answer is, to be honest, other than you just kind of have to keep doing the work and um, assume that the money will show up at your door as soon as humanly possible. <laughs> I like that. I like that faith in corporate bureaucracy. Eventually, the money will arrive to you. The uh, <laughs> the you know I one thing I'm a I'm a huge fan of. We talked we talk about a lot on the show as far as money management for folks that have kind of variable income. Is I'm I'm a huge fan of getting to the point where when you do have those rich months, you know, seeing how far out into the future you can budget with that. Because when I get a really big payday. Um, from from a client or, um, you know, a contract or I have a very large Kickstarter like I did, I really like to look forward and be like, oh, how long can I live off of this money before other money has to come in? And I've never gotten to the end of that money before something else has, you know, popped up. <laughs> yeah. it, it helps kind of calm that existential crisis that I have when <laughs> when I'm like, oh, I really don't know where the money is coming from eventually. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I often in terms of months versus dollars. And mm. um, and so, hey, you know, this project is going to be, this project means June, July, August. And then on top of that project, this other project means September, October, November. And then I go, oh. Yeah. <laughs> because suddenly you're like, oh, December, that's that's not immediate. <laughs> I've got some time, right? Yeah. You can kind of, uh, which is when you're not, on a, you know, every two week pay cycle, like a lot of folks are, you, you really do have to think longer term um, about the money that's coming in than folks that are maybe only living till the next payday. Um, yeah, the other nice thing that having that, that, that cushion gives you is it, it enables you to do the thing that I think 
um, those of us out here on our own do do it because of, and that is to be able to not just think about the next box to check or the next meeting to make or the next client crisis you need to solve, but like what kind of problems can I think about solving in two months or four months or six months or a year? Like what what kind of bigger picture, you know, I like to say looking through the prism of what could be, like how might I be able to use this cushion to think about things that might benefit me further on down the line? Or or not just me, other people too. So your book is for UDOTs, as you call them, which are us doing our own thing, folks that are doing what they love and what they're good at, but might be kind of unenthusiastic and maybe even a little incompetent at some of the more technical (laughs) aspects of doing what they love, like business development or finance or admin or legal responsibilities. In my case, it's kind of the opposite. I love that side of business and I like hate marketing, which is ridiculous because marketing for me is putting cat photos on the internet, which sounds like a really great job. But, you know, I would, I would balance, I can balance my books every week and get great joy from it. But as soon as you ask me to like schedule social media posts, I start breaking out in a cold sweat. Uh, so what, what is kind of like your advice for someone who is in that position where they're, they're really excited about what they're doing and like they're amazed people are paying them for it and they're making okay money, but they realize like, oh, I am a business. What's your kind of like morsel of advice that you can give? I know you wrote a whole book on it, but. <laughs> well, you're right. There's a lot of tips in the book about it. I guess what you're talking about a little bit is the chapter called Do It, which sounds pretty obvious. Do it. I mean, of course you're going to do it. But there's a lot of people that get in the way. There's a lot of things that get in the way of, of doing it, getting off your butt and doing it. You know, you want everything to be perfect. You're fear of failure. I have a lack of things like skills, resources, confidence, money, time. There's all these things that can get in the way. So the actual, like, getting down and, for example, making, like for people like me, making lists. <laughs> making lists of contacts, simple spreadsheet, basically just now able to say, write a person's name down, the last time I contacted them, the next time I should contact them. And I always have a space for notes like, you know, twins were born in August or loves, you know, banana cheesecake or whatever, so that I can have ways of keeping in touch with them. It's really interesting that people who go off on their own are often unprepared to really get down and do the work around building a network and the clients are not the most part my experience the clients are not going to come to you unless you put in the work of creating the network that could be it could mean going to networking events which makes some people skin crawl but if you pick the right networking events with the right type of people you mesh with and who you gel with if you um, pick topics that are interesting to you you know it's important to be doing the things taking people to lunch, taking them to coffee, being kind of relentless with former clients, getting referrals from them for new clients, actively chasing. You know, the hustle is real, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's exhausting. But when that client signs the contract, it's pretty um, satisfying and incredibly rewarding. And when you're doing the work, you just need to remind yourself of what what it took to get that work so that you can remember to keep doing it. I like to say about networking is the box that is continuously getting unchecked that you need to keep checking. Yeah. I One thing that I like to remember about networking is that it doesn't have to look like those big meat market events, right? It's really just talking and connecting with people that maybe are not in your natural circle. Uh, you know, the weak links 
and it doesn't have to be miserable and painful. <laughs> Yeah. But but yeah. I think a lot of us have so much like negative association built up with the word networking that we convince ourselves that it's a terrible thing that only slimy people do and we don't ha- need any business with it. But like your business only exists if people hire you. Like you say, I felt I, I felt the same about networking. I just I wanted when I walked in the door, I want to turn around and walk back out pretty much immediately. But I think that I was going to the wrong events. I just for events that I thought I should go to because of the way that they were described, because the people who I thought were going to be there were going to be helpful. But, you know, don't go to networking events unless you're interested in the subject. Maybe there's something around, like, yoga or cooking or sports or art or film or finance. And so I think if you go in assuming that you're going to find your next client there, you're going to be up for disappointment. But if you go in optimistically, um, looking forward to potentially meeting somebody interesting and seeing where the conversation goes, then you may be setting yourself up for success and also at least not going in feeling like you want to throw off the second you get the door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So we hear commonly kind of the phrase selling out as a big fear. People don't really define it terribly well, but it's a big fear that my listeners have about going into business for themselves. Do you have any advice for someone who's their own boss but is like mortally afraid of selling out? Um, I would say that um, I look at it differently. I guess I looked at ever since Bob Dylan and Neil Young sold their music for advertisements, I kind of lost the feeling like selling out was actually a thing. And um, to me, it's all about doing the work. If you are doing the work that you enjoy and making money, I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about doing the work and it's about creating ideas. And if you feel like it's kind of you know, below you to do certain work to be able to make money, then that's totally cool. But I would say that, you know, when you get to make the money, you get to do more work that you need to love. So I think it's 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 so okay to do things that you may think are, someone might describe as selling out, if it enables you to do something that you love for yourself. I think one thing I've I've had to remember is that, like, it's okay to have morals in business, but your moral in business can't be that you never want to acquire money at any time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Something I ask every guest, uh, which I feel like is appropriate to ask you is what is your own personal greatest money decision and worst money decision? Well, the first part's the easiest question you'll ever ask me. The the best money decision I ever made was, um, was hiring a woman named Susie who used to be the CFO at my old company that actually laid me off. And so um, every proposal I write, I will complete the entire proposal and leave the feline blank and send it to Susie. And she, having the experience of written thousands of proposals in her life, will send send it back to me and say, here's how much you should charge for this job. (laughs) And it takes me out of the emotional aspect of putting money together you know, by now, 10 years later, I have a pretty good idea usually, but I still send her the proposal every single time with a feline blank. And originally, she was having me charge 10, 20, 30. There were times when she, I would be charging, and I'm not making this up, 100% double what I was going to charge myself by having her look at the proposal. The worst is actually in the same, uh, it follows the story. The worst is actually the decisions I make when I don't follow her advice. And so easy to say she's going to say you should charge $10,000 for this. And then you put $10,000 on the page, 
And then you start thinking about the client. You start thinking about maybe they don't have the money. You start thinking about how badly you want the work, and maybe there's someone else in competition for it. And then you say, maybe I should do nine, or maybe I should do eight. And seldom do I ever uh, leave the number, have people accept it, and regret doing it. Seldom do I leave the number and have people say, I'm sorry, it's too much money. If you leave that number and they don't, and they think it's too high, they'll come back to you and say, you know, can we talk about this? If you knock the number down and they accept it immediately, you want to kick yourself in the butt. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> I, I identify with that strongly. I tend to do the, like, I start out, I, I put the most ridiculous number I can think of down that I feel, and then I start to whittle away at it until it becomes yeah. tiny. Yeah. And then I'm slowly resentful uh, yeah. because they yeah. pay me what I ask them to pay me. Funny, fun facts. Oh, yes. well, Danny, this has been delightful. Have a lovely day. Thank you so much, Lillian. Have a great day. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.